0: Welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined today for the first time by a long-time friend of the show and a man that has more in common with me than my own wife, it's Mr. Carl Grice. How's things? Not bad,
1: not bad. Hello, everybody. Happy <laughs> so first... Mother's Day. This is the day we're recording.
0: Yeah, still six weeks or so for me to get organized in Australia, so that's all right. I don't have to panic just yet. And today, of course, we are on episode 34, reviewing the 1996 Royal Rumble and January 1996 Clash of the Champions from WCW. The Royal Rumble, of course, coming to us from the Salander Arena in Fresno, California, drew a crowd of 9,600 for a 1.1 buy rate and a number of buys watched of 346,258. The Clash of the Champions comes to us from Caesars Palace, Las Vegas, Nevada, drew a crowd of 3,100. And a very respectable TV rating of 4.5, getting some Monday Night War attitude-era numbers there starting to come through. So two big-ish pay-per-views. The Rumble's normally the um, the big countdown for the, the main season of WWF. And Clash of the Champions, I think this is one of the, the later ones. There's only one or two left after this. And getting some big TV numbers with all the stars being wheeled out. Are you excited for this one, Carl? Uh, i got my wise-crossed
1: but. Uh, Royal Royal Rumble '96 was or is a remembered gem from my uh, youth. Classic Champions, like back in the day, I wasn't. I didn't even, like, I knew. I didn't know much of WCW, so I was looking forward to going into it. But it, that was slightly quickly changed after I watched it. But
0: hey ho, expectations dampened quickly. <laughs> so two big shows Just at a time. The timeline's coming strong now. 1996 is sort of the hollow land after we've gotten through the, the back end of 1995. Coming towards WrestleMania 12 and, of course, about six months in the horizon, we've got the birth of the NWO. So there's big, big things coming. Steve Austin, of course, has just, just debuted in the WWF, has, as, as has the man they call Vader. So there's a lot of interesting stuff coming up, but we're not quite there yet. Let's see how these shows fared, knowing that we've got a lot of good things still to come. Um, which show did you watch first, Carl? Uh,
1: I watched Clash of the Champions first. I thought I'd start with the one which I didn't know, so yeah, that was the first first one, and it was a, and it was a smaller one, so I thought it'd be an easy, quick watch, but More it nowadays. took me a couple. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, in that case, we'll head over to WCW and watch, We'll review the Clash of the Champions first, and we'll get going. Are you ready to rock?
1: Ready, ready, ready
2: tonight in this evening of main
0: events the
2: Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen join forces as Ric Flair and the giant battle against Macho Man Randy Savage and the immortal Hulk Hogan they have already made their mark. they are public enemies, they'll meet the Nasty Boys the Mexican heavyweight title is on the line Konak takes on the wild and unpredictable psychosis, tagging up our sting and Lex Luger versus the Blue Bloods, plus a match made in heaven. You are invited to attend the wedding of Sherry and the Colonel. Tonight, live from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, World Championship Wrestling and TBS present Clash of the Champions.
0: All right, so Clash of the Champions starts with a recap of the previous Monday's Nitro, which had a lot go down. The Macho Man Randy Savage upsetted Ric Flair to take the World Heavyweight title. Macho Man and Hulk Hogan squared off after this. Lex Luger and Sting took the tag titles from Harlem Heat. And... Um, We open up with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan telling us that Miss Elizabeth is back in town as well, so big news there. They also tell us Kevin Green is here to be in the corner of the uh, Mega Powers and the Legion of Doom are back as well, so a lot of big stuff being brought on at the start of the show. Did any of this get you excited or perk your ears?
1: Well, let's just say the start of this Clash of Champions made me instantly angry. Synonymous with like Macho Man winning the title again, and Hulk Hogan just absolutely crapping all over it. But the fact that like Macho Man made a point of reference to saying like, like who won the title? It wasn't 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 Hulk, but he was all over it. Like, oh, it made me so cross. It really put me in a bad mood before I even started. I think my personal dick move.
0: When we get there later on, I think my notes actually say Hulk Hogan has now spoiled seventy five percent of the Macho Man's title wins. <laughs>
1: 75,
0: all of them. I think he won one without Hogan there. Uh, yeah, he beat Flair
1: at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah. So, if,
0: well, unless you count Hogan taking the main event slot, and then you're going four for four. Uh, true, true. Right. he spent
1: most of it in the
0: uh, mid-card. Um, and, of course, the big name's coming back. So, Miss Elizabeth was a... Um, was a one that piqued my interest there, as well as the Road Warriors, of course, but we have seen Hawk on the timeline already. Um, but Miss Elizabeth coming back is one that I'm very interested to see when we get there, exactly how it all goes down, since her and Randy Savage, of course, had divorced a couple of years prior to this, and Randy pretty much lays the blame on the, the feet of Hulk Hogan. I do right,
1: we'll get to it later on, but the... the um... The interview with Hulk, Kevin Green and Macho Man where Hulk was like, which one of us is going to take her out? I was like, whoa, 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 what
0: is this? I, um, yeah, I could not believe what I was hearing. Um, I've got a note later on that we're going to play that and listen to it because it, it shocked me at the time as well.
1: And apparently, WCW—it must have been Elizabeth's contract this year to get the girls out. That was a pleasant surprise,
0: but more on that later. <laughs> Indeed, um, from there we go to what's going to be a running theme for the show: Gene Oakland at the little at. A Little White Chapel. It's a drive-through and walk-in, so a la McDonald's, wedding chapel in Las Vegas. Um, they crack a bunch of lame jokes about wedding and avoiding it, and we're going to see Colonel Robert Parker and Sensational Sherry get married at some point this evening, but not before we throw to Jean a lot. Did this um, look like it was going to wear tedious on you from the first segment like it did with me?
1: Uh, I think it was all it was all a bit hodgepodge it was it was chapel then eric bischoff then match then rinse and repeat and there was a, a couple of comedy highlights within the wedding thing i won't don't get me wrong but you can quite for some reason like i'll say like in my notes like sherry myself was quite clearly off a tits for most of it i no don't <laughs> know what
0: she was on i can't disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I think she was released not long after and I can I kinda understood why after watching
0: this. She'd be what one of the few people that ever did get a release in this time then I guess.
1: Well oh, god yeah.
0: So from there we go to our first match, which is one that definitely seemed to take your attention from our t- conversations on Twitter. It's the public enemy taking on the nasty boys. So this one opens up as you would expect with some classic scientific mat wrestling. No, it doesn't, it opens up with a four man brawl. I'm not sure they really... I don't think they get in the ring until after it's all said and done before I go through any of my notes here. It's just wild, hot and heavy on the floor straight away.
1: One of my favourite bits of the, like one of the lines of the night from Bobby Heenan was when Sags went off to go and get a table, and Bobby Heenan went, where's Sags going? He can't be going for a shower. It's not Saturday. <laughs> Which made me uh, <laughs> made chuckle a yeah. little
0: bit. That, that takes up about half my notes in the match, that line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it.
0: We are- um when we do get stuck in grunge hits a nice back suplex on knobs uh rocco takes the ball bump on the steel rail which looked nasty i'm not sure i'd be putting my hand up for that one um that's when bobby heenan comes in with the classic line as sags goes to get a table uh they come back to more brawling rocco hits a bulldog sags a clothesline Nobbs nails um nails one of the the public enemy and tony shivani about two and a half minutes into the show gets off his second that time and i lost count before this show ended but he, he Goes to that well all night long. We have a nice moonsault by Rocco, which gets a two-count, so there is a, a wrestling move in the ring.
1: Have we got to the bit where he did the moonsault that about broke Jerry Sag's face? Have we got
0: that yet? That was ugly.
1: <sighs>
0: well, there's another sick bump straight after that as well because Knobs knocks Grunge off the apron, and he gets his leg caught in the ring skirt yes. and takes an ugly bump to the floor. Sag then hits a huge pile driver, and a table gets set up as the referee calls for the bell. This one, the finish here really sort of, it confused me because at no point was this a tag team match but eventually the referee got fed up and called for the, the bell. So, I think he was <laughs> just doing everyone a favour. A <laughs> couple of minutes too late maybe. From there Rocco puts another moonsault on knobs that goes sort of halfway through the table. They were made of sturdier stuff back in the day here um, and Sag smashes one of the table pieces on grunge, then throws the table from inside the ring to out and nails him and they brawl to the back as we go to a commercial break. A bit of a well, a non-event, really, this match. It was just four guys beating the shit out of each other for a couple of minutes until the ref got fed up.
1: Yeah, I think it got a thing. It's like, this is basically like the Public Enemy's pretty much, like, main debut. They've been on, like, Saturday Night or whatever a couple of times, and then they just got thrown straight into this.
0: Yeah, I believe they'd had the one match on on the last Nitro episode I reviewed, and that didn't... They, they just put American males through a table, basically. So there was no real... There wasn't a, a big buzz or any vignettes or anything like that to introduce them. They were just there. Really, the crowd here, the, the only audible sound they made were the ECW chants a couple of times they broke out. Not much of a crowd, so they weren't very loud, but you could hear them once or twice. Yeah. From there, we've got a commercial for Super Brawl, and then when we come back, the Giant and Ric Flair cutting a promo with Eric Bischoff. So, not, not a lot going on there. Your standard, Flair was pretty good, Giant's very raspy, and... They're threatening the two guys in the main event. Nothing of note, really. What did you think of the promo?
1: I, uh, it was t- classic Ric Flair. I didn't know if it was intentional that the- Ric Flair was dressed in green, so he looked like a beanstalk next to the Giant. <laughs> well, that's what I thought when I saw it. Whether it was on purpose. But pretty much a standard fare. Shouty Magoo from the well, I keep saying the big show from the Giant. Sorry. But, yeah. And then Smarmy Bischoff. What is what isn't it like?
0: and did you catch after this we threw to a commercial and we got actual commercial breaks we got actual um, ads run on the show yes so that that was a bit weird I think maybe they um, they took this from tape and forgot to edit it from there we go to our next match which is Dean Malenko up against Alex Wright Malenko and Alex Wright are both fairly new in the promotion Alex Wright's been around for a little while Malenko um, not, not long debuted and this is one that I was definitely looking forward to coming into this when we get started, um, we get a really nice sequence of chain wrestling from Alex Wright and Dean Malenko, followed by a really nice-looking leg sweep by Malenko, and then a um, couple of a weird exchange of flips. They sort of both do somersaults in front of each other with neither striking, which ends with Alex Wright going up for a head scissor takedown, so a bit of an odd sequence. I think this is something that the cruiserweights sort of refined as they went on these flippy in-and-out sequences, because here there was no actual wrestling involved. Tony Schiavone on commentary tells us that we can have a live electronic chat on CompuServe and absolutely dates the show for us all. <laughs>
1: With
0: Jimmy Hart, wow. he <laughs> yeah, doesn't look like he's typing too quick, so one at a time, please. I know, at least take like his sunglasses off. <laughs> Malenko puts Alex Wright's leg round the post and then hits a really nice-looking um, drag-and-whip leg, leg sort of sweep there and goes to a nice-looking leg lock on the mat. Alex Wright comes back springboarding off the top with a crossbody and some nice European uppercuts before hitting a couple of drop kicks, um, then drop kicking as Milenko goes up to the top rope, knocks him down and crutches him, hits a superplex for a two count. But then he misses a, another drop kick. Dean Malenko fires back with a clothesline and a drop kick to the knee before locking up the legs for a jackknife pin with the one, two, three. uh it looked to me a little bit like a botch on the finish there. Alex Wright looked like he came up, but the referee gave the three anyway. Um not as good as I thought it could have been, but a decent match. What were your thoughts? I got when
1: I saw his Malenko, I must admit I was uh, I got a last nice grin. What's not to like about the Iceman Dean Malenko. Um classic Bobby here again, Dash Wonderpunk When <laughs> Alice Alex Wright came out. That got a little bit of a chuckle. Alex, um, it was a very basic match, but when I saw who was coming out, I was very excited, but it kind of, it was kind of a bit flat compared to what I would, what I would have expected. Um, I don't know if you got this, but the whole entire match, there was a guy in the crowd who, for the whole entire show, was just the most annoying twat. He was just waving, silly gestures all the time. and I, I was trying to concentrate on that, and all I, I could see who was this, Goof in the background, hated it. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, it was—I
0: think it was a solid six.
1: Nothing, nothing brilliant, but it was—it was, a, it was a, still a Melanco clinic per
0: se. Yeah, I think if they have this match again a year from now, it could be a lot better. But still, at this time, one of the better matches you're going to see on TV. I preferred it when Alex Wright was billing. <laughs> I preferred it Ooh, when he that. did his—you um, know—his two arm dance. <laughs> yeah. When he's, when he's hassling the Nitro Girls and whatnot. That's my favourite, Alex. Oh, yeah, when
1: he sleep through. When he sleep through, that was amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> From there, we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, it is time for another wrestling clinic, Kevin Sullivan up against the Disco Inferno. We're told that Disco Inferno will be singing at the wedding of Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker, and this is a really strange pairing, so I don't know that there's any build-up on TV for it, but Kevin Sullivan comes out, and we then get... The introduction of Disco Inferno, but out comes an Elvis impersonator eating a sandwich. So this is our classic WCW for you. He um, gets on the mic and sings. Kevin Sullivan attacks him, beats the ever living shit out of him, dumps him to the outside, and that's the end of the segment. So there you go. What did you think about that?
1: It was, I don't know. It was it was pretty terrible. The fact of Sullivan's there, dressed as a knockoff fat dwarf Hulk Hogan. The fact that he's the smallest guy in the ring. Um, I can't remember. It, someone, I think Sullivan put his hand out. Or the Elvis put his hand out, and like, but who would touch either of their people's hand with his, with his sloppy burger? <laughs> uh, Earthquake stomps, hated it, and double stomps.
0: <laughs> I didn't get a good look. Could you tell if the sandwich was bacon and peanut butter?
1: I think they made reference to it being peanut. But I think he said, I don't know about the bacon. He Definitely said it was peanut butter. Well, but in fact, the, the fact they'd even bothered to get someone who could slightly sound like Elvis. Like, kind of... Oh, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible.
0: They are a dime a dozen in Las Vegas, I suppose. It'd be harder to find someone that doesn't impersonate Elvis. Exactly. From there, we go back to the Little White Chapel, where Gene is there with Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck showing up. Um, They're excited for the wedding, obviously. And this is a bit of a throwaway, nothing segment. Um, Two people that I wouldn't invite to my wedding, even if they were guaranteed to come, Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck... (laughs) Nothing really to see here. When we come back, Eric Bischoff is with Sting and Lex Luger.
1: Did you see the forehead on Robert Parker? <laughs> no. Oh, it was horrendous. Like Many a razor have been on that. It was absolutely horrific.
0: So Sting's with um, Sting and Lex Luger are with Eric Bischoff. Lex says they're the best tag team in the business now. And that immediately brings out the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. They high-five Sting while Lex Luger looks a little bit salty on and then Sting says, it's time to accept this match. He wants to sign the contract. But Lex weasel's out of it and says, not just yet. There's other, there's other contenders referencing Harlem Heat and the American Males. Uh,
1: uh, and State Patrol.
0: And State I don't even know who they are. <laughs> oh,
1: that, 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 that part. Luger at, this, Luger at this time is absolutely yeah, brilliant. Well, I we never thought that I'd ever say that, but he'll face Luger. Amazing. I don't
0: think I've ever seen him do better character work than this last few episodes I've done. No. He, um, his whole wants to be friends with Sting but doesn't want to give up his evil ways is just brilliant. And the whole I'll come out oh. with Jimmy Hart when I'm not with Sting is also another really great touch.
1: When they come out of the tag team and like he'll be there like slapping hands and when Sting isn't looking, he stops. ah. <laughs> Nah, it's
0: brilliant. It's obviously, obviously not his idea. He would never be clever enough to
1: come up with that. But
0: <laughs> What about the um, the return of hawk and Animal? Does this get you excited?
1: In blue. Mm. Blue LOD. I was kind of like, I thought my telly had broke. It was, it was just classic fair. But I wouldn't. if I was bringing back the LOD, I wouldn't just have him walk out when seeing a luga. I'd have a bit more pomp and circumstance. A but...
0: bit of a missed opportunity. Do you think they could have squashed somebody here and helped the show?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. If you've got if you've got the LED coming back, you advertise them. You don't they don't just like like I say they don't just come out. But
0: they did mention on the Nitro previous to this, which was the night before, that they the Road Warriors had just gotten back together and would be appearing on the Clash. So, had you watched that Nitro, I think you'd be a little bit let down by this.
1: Oh yeah, you'd be expecting you'd like I say there was enough jab- jabronis out there for them to just come out and run through, or even like even like later on after the after the Sting Lex match, just to come out then rather than.
0: Just so
1: Hulk, uh, Hulk Hulk, can say
0: spiel. From here, we go to a um, Bobby Heenan telling us how much he likes Brian Pillman, right before we throw to a bit of a strange interview with Mr Wonderful. Um, he's talking about the career-ending injury put on him at the hands of the Four Horsemen. So a few episodes back, you'll have heard the Brian Pillman confrontation with Mr Wonderful and Arne Anderson and Ric Flair spike pile-driving him on the floor. Um, and this promo is very strange in that he's look he's sort of the camera's side onto him and he's shouting at whoever's interviewing him but he isn't in shot it's just shot very strange and he's yelling and crying um he tells us about how he was on such a roll after gary spivey's prediction that good things were going to happen um, it's hard to take him serious when he talks about that as well he cuts a promo on brian pillman and the four horsemen saying how they'd offered him a spot in the four horsemen many years ago and he turned it down says his career is career is probably over, but he won't take it lying down. And then from there, this, you know, what was meant to be, I guess, a bit of a heart-wrenching segment with Mr. Wonderful. We immediately cut to the crowd and see a smiling Gary Spivey in the crowd. So just a mind-boggling segment overall. It was like a um, a serious promo on Magic Mushrooms here. (laughs)
1: It was one point where he goes, at the start of the promo, he's saying now, ever since the power driver, he's been having problems with his arm. Like, all of us know, Paul Arnold's been having problems with his arm a lot longer than the smart power driver. But he says, to me, he sounded like like a clear Ahmed Johnson during this uh, promo. That's what I got. (laughs) If you could actually understand Ahmed Johnson, that's what Paul Arnold would have sounded like in this interview. Brother from another mother. Yeah, and there was a hell of a lot in this promo and in the, fla- in the flashbacks as well. A lot of top buttons stood up, massively dating it to uh,
0: 1996. Most def. From there, Colonel Robert Parker arrives on the scene for his wedding. However, he's short of money for the cab and tries to weasel a note out of Mean Gene, who tells him to stick it and spends a good couple of minutes arguing with the cab driver off screen. So a very weird segment before throwing to the next commercial break. From here, we come to Brian Pillman up against Eddie Guerrero, and this was the match that I was most excited for from either show. Very, very looking forward to this one. Um, Doesn't turn out to be anything like I thought, but this was one that definitely um, got my interest. We come in and... um brian pillman is in full loose cannon mode now he is absolutely bonkers from the minute he walks through the curtain getting in the ring he's just putting his hands in eddie guerrero's face just trying his best to wind him up to an you know his volumes turned to 56 here it's brilliant when we do get started eddie guerrero hits a nice drop kick which sends brian pillman outside the ring and then we get one of the most infamous moments in professional wrestling history right off the bat
2: now he wants to shake hands with him. I think the brain is left. Somebody's got a control coming, I can tell you. That right he is an absolute nut. This is absolutely broken down. Now, would, would you do us a favor, Randy Anderson, and keep them in the ring? Rain, sit down here and gather your composure now are you back with us here i'd like to apologize if i said anything i shouldn't have off car or anything but i mean I, the, the man was going for my neck he was going i, I was i was concerned for my own well-being yes. he's a loose cannon he'll turn on anybody and if i said something i should have i apologize i i, I don't think i think saying he's a loose cannon is maybe putting it mildly here into the midsection
0: he goes and grabs Bobby heenan by the collar, who drops the f bomb on live television. <laughs> what did you think about that?
1: I was—I am it's a—it's a moment in the annals of time that I'm, I'm aware of, and when it happened, I was like, I couldn't believe it that this—I well, I couldn't believe, but this was the show where it, where it happened. I mean, it's famous. It's like one of the one of the main points of the of the of Crazy Pillman and. Yes, it was. Well when he when he went outside the ring at first I looked and thought, How close are the commentators to the ring? They're like literally like on the turnbuckle and then like next minute he went across and did that and I was like, Oh holy shit, this is it, this is the
0: bit and I was It was amazing. Um Bobby Heenan, of course, what isn't shown in the highlights and the the recaps of this is Bobby Heenan goes to walk out. So he walks halfway up the aisle and he's visibly pissed off and he's pissed off at himself for dropping the F-bomb at Brian Pillman for grabbing him and he doesn't know what to do. Eventually, he comes back to ringside and Tony Schiavone just abandons character and talks Bobby Heenan back down. So really cool stuff. Well, I can't, he's
1: like, hell, hell, man. Pillman straight away was just like, it happened and then everyone was just like, oh my god, what has happened? And everyone, everyone's kind of like, just, it's like, like time stood still, everyone's like looking at each other, Pillman's a bit like, oh, like, like I say, he has walked off, you see him walking round. he's not got a clue what's going on, he's like, am I going to get fired for just dropping the F-bomb on telly? It's just, it was, it was very surreal, for a very surreal moment.
0: For sure, when he comes back to the commentary booth, he does, of course, apologise on the air. So both of them break character there. Pillman's trying to shake Eddie Guerrero's hand, who's having none of this. He takes control with a tilt world backbreaker, couple of drop kicks, and a tornado DDT, earning himself a two count. And then he just cocks back with a huge slap on Pillman, really, really big slap. Brian Pillman goes to get the cocky pin with the with the ropes, but Eddie Guerrero gets out at two. Guerrero rolls up Pillman also for a two count. And then Brian Pillman, out of nowhere, hits a crossbody for the 1-2-3 and just really abruptly ended this match.
1: It was a rub. After, after the Heena thing, it was kind of like... I don't know, it's like neither of them knew what they were supposed to be doing, so it was kind of like... I don't know, it was very, it was very rushed and very... Mm-hmm.
0: This was a Raw match in 2015 for me.
1: <sighs> yeah, pretty much.
0: Did you catch, though, after the match, another interesting moment? Pillman rolls out the ring after stealing the win, and he rolls out next to the commentary table, so Bobby Heenan yes. jumps up and goes to run. Yes.
1: It was kind of like, to me, it was kind of like Pillman wanted to go across and he was like to say sorry or whatnot, but then he's kind of like, oh, it was. I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think anybody knows. Very serious. It, it wasn't, it, for me, it wasn't. It didn't look like a clear plan spot, obviously planned by Bischoff and Pillman, but obviously he didn't have a clue what was going on. You don't react like that,
0: do you? No, not at all. From there, we've got Eric Bischoff with Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Kevin Green, who cut a promo on The Giant, referencing, as you said earlier in the show, the fact that they're going to have the secret weapon, Miss Elizabeth. We'll splice this this one in here now and let everybody listen to it because it's a bit of a doozy. (laughs)
2: Macho Man Randy Savage, put her there, the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. I tell you what, Hulk, that's it, man. It's positive
3: momentum. You guys personify Well, you know something, Eric Bischoff. Now that the Macho Man won the WCW Heavyweight title, brother, you got to admit that the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan have a lot of positive momentum. And now that we got lean, mean Kevin Green, brother, it's going to tear everybody's heads apart tonight. I would love to see the four horsemen try to sneak up behind us, or I would love to see the Dungeon of Doom try to get up there, brother. Wouldn't you, macho man? Need a little excitement? This is what it's all about. Lean, mean, Kevin Green, number 91 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Yeah! You know something brothers, now that we got half of our secret weapon on the outside watching our back tonight, brother, I know that everything's gonna be cool, but you know something, Kevin Green, brother, if that nasty, stinky, wart-infested giant was to try to sneak up behind you, or if that no good Ric Flair, the ex-heavyweight champion, was to sneak up behind you, what would you do, brother, if they got right in your face, dude? Well, big brother, I'd put my head down. I'd have my shoulder pads on, I'd come charging and run right through them like the Steelers are gonna do the Cowboys Super Bowl Sunday, baby! Oh, brother! <laughs> this guy's cool, brother, and we're on a roll. But tell them all about the final secret weapon, Leah. Well, you know something, dude? The whole wrestling world is on fire now, brother. Because you and I have a lot of things going, a lot of positive momentum, and we want the same thing out of life, brother. But you know, so we, so that cooler heads prevail, man. Now that we've brought the real secret weapon here tonight to the Clash of Champions, the lovely Liz, brother, she's gonna be in our corner directing traffic. But you know something, dudes? Now that we're all brothers, now that we're all friends, we got one little problem here. You know what that is? What's that problem? You got any idea, brother? No, tell me. The problem that we're going to have tonight after we bust up the giant and Ric Flair at the victory celebration, which one of us is going to take Liz out on the town tonight, dude? Well, I'd like to know that one myself. What about Why you? Why this second, big brother? You might have to go through me first. Let me give you a little advice. Elizabeth's gonna be tough to go through. You might have a better time and an easier time with the Dallas Cowboys, brother. Well, we all know that she's more than you can handle, dude. Whoa, whoa. Oh yeah! Oh, we'll be back with
4: more on the Clash of the Champions. What are they gonna we do? Man? I have no idea, man. It's
0: terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best, is it? Um, <sighs> Hogan, of course, with that famous line. Um, who's going to take Liz out on the town. And the three of them debate live on air who's going to get Elizabeth <laughs> tonight. So um, not quite the classy treatment she received in the WWF, is it? No, no, no. Very interesting stuff. Uh, from there we go to our next matchup. Another one I was looking forward to, actually. This this show's got a potentially great card. Not all of it pans out as I expected, but the, the, the actual match card was great. This is the Blue Blood, so Sir, Sir Robert of Eton and Lord Steven Regal up against Sting and Lex Luger, the new champs. Regal starts off with Sting. Sting hits a nice shoulder block, a headlock, and a drop kick as the bell rings. Um, bit of a strange spot there. Bobby Eaton comes in, as does Lex Luger, and then on the outside of the ring pretty quickly, Eaton takes a back body drop on the exposed concrete floor. Really ugly. They get back in, Regal's in as well, basically cheating in the corner to an advantage. Hits some nice European uppercuts before Eaton comes back in. He hits a swinging neck breaker. Then Regal comes in and an elbow drop for the two count, couple of knees to the head for a two count, before Bobby Eaton comes in and hits a top rope knee drop, which was really cool as well. Regal's back in for the Regal stretch, which Sting breaks up, getting frustrated with Lex taking the beatdown. Before Bobby Eaton comes off the top, Lex Luger tries to catch him in a power slam and they fuck it up royally. They then have a head clash, a hot tag to Sting, who comes in and nails both the heels. Eaton uh, accidentally nails Regal off the top rope. Sting puts in the Scorpion Deathlock, and that's all she wrote. So, decent match, a little bit quicker than what I wanted, but not too bad. The action was good, and the characters were all over. What were your thoughts on that one?
1: This match was a William Regal masterclass. His facial reactions, his, his taunting, it was it was sublime. I had a tear in my eye watching him. <laughs> But say like I'm I'm of like 90% of the of the fans who at the time you watched Regal and you hated him, he was boring. But now becoming older, going back and watching him, you just see like what an absolute star he was. See, at one point like uh, Luke was flexing, and uh, William Regal did his arm flex and pushed his muscle up and all that, just gold, absolute gold. If you want to learn how to, if you want to learn how to do things in the ring, facial reactions, then watch a William Regal match, absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah, can't can't disagree with any of that. From there, we go to the next wedding segment, and this time, Sherry is pissed off that Colonel Robert Parker has lost all his money. Pissed in general. <laughs> pissed in general as well. Yeah, yeah, she looked to have um, had a few in the limo ride over, do you think? Yeah. <sighs> we then... Definitely go to eric bischoff interviewing brian pillman um this is probably a good indicator that bischoff was in on the whole loose cannon thing because had one of your performers caused one of the commentators to swear live on air earlier in the show you probably wouldn't be giving them a promo unless they were coming out to apologize that's not what pillman does he threatens to drop the seven words you can't say on tv do you know what those seven words are no Here we go. These are apparently the seven words that you cannot say on air in America. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Tits? (laughs) Uh. One of these things is not like the other, hey? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, that's what you can't say. Um, I've just got in trouble for saying tits about half an hour ago as well, so I... um, Obviously, for those that have been listening to the show all along know that I am now blessed with two daughters and I, to record here, had to put the girls to bed and do my fatherly duties. So, I tucked my eldest daughter into bed and then went into my newborn who was having a feed and couldn't tuck her in or say goodnight. So, I just said, enjoy the tits and went to walk out and got a bit of a (laughs) verbal (laughs) mouthful off my wife. (laughs) Oh, I've got a three-year-old, and you forget, like, at the minute now, when she when she drops things on the floor, she just goes like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, like, oh no. <laughs> my my uh, my four-year-old popped out the other day with "what the shit," and um, <laughs> everybody's her where she got it from, and she says, "Daddy," I'm like, I don't say "what the shit." It doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I can't wait for a school report that says she's um learned all the swear words off me. <sighs> From there we go to our next match, which is Conan up against Icosis. And as was it oh, going back sorry, mm, sorry.
1: sorry. Uh, the the thing as well, just to get deranged thing. Someone had quite clearly ripped the nipple the pocket off his um off his left breast, so he's just sat there with like one exposed boob. I
0: completely forgot about that, um, precursor to saying tits on air, I guess.
1: <laughs> he had a tit
0: out. <laughs> Conan and psychosis is our next match and as was the norm in WCW because they don't know any of the moves they're gonna see they bring out Mike Tanay to join the commentary team. we get a quick start in the match anyway it was this is still young fit Conan and motivated Conan so this was a pretty decent opening um, he is jacked though he is like a, a Mexican Hulk Hogan here he looks huge hits a couple of nice German suplexes followed by a slingshot on psychosis. Um, goes into an STF on the on the floor, which is pretty good. Uh, Psychosis comes back with a spinning heel kick before Conan runs up the ropes and comes off with an arm drag. Tony Schiavone says that Tanae interviewed Eric, uh, Eric Bischoff about the wrestling war room skits earlier, and he's going to play that on the hotline. I really wish that was shown on air. That would be awesome. Conan yeah. hits a big DDT. He then lets Psychosis um, hit him with a missile dropkick while he stands and watch. So that was a little bit weird. Psychosis hits a nice tope before Conan hits a German suplex off the top rope and then locks in a standing figure four with the arms locked in that they call the zip lock and gets a quick submission out of Psychosis retaining his Mexican heavyweight title. A um, bit quicker than I thought, but some decent action and some really good moves here. Did you like this one?
1: Hey, this, was, this was for me on the night but. William Eagle's facial reactions, it's probably much of the night. The problem was no one in the crowd knew who these people weren't and didn't give two shits about it, which somewhat ruined it. There was some good offence. Conan blew my mind. I mean he used to lazy Conan. Even though he came out dressed like a he looked like a crap Street Fighter character <laughs> with his ring gear, but his good of the offense was good. It was a good match, just shame no one cared and his finisher was absolutely terrible.
0: Yeah. The German suplex off the top rope though was amazing. I loved that spot. God, yeah, Yeah, it was good. From there, Sherry is getting dressed for her wedding in the limo. Uh, One of the things we forgot to mention earlier is she did just rock up in street clothes, and I kind of half expected her to get married like that, knowing Sherry. But no, she's going all out and getting a gown and some heels on in the limo. We get an ad for Mean Jeans Hotline, and then as they go to get married at the drive-in window, because, of course, they don't have the money to pay for it properly, Medusa comes out of a trailer breaks up the wedding, and her and Sherry have a massive brawl, ta- both taking bumps on the concrete floor, throwing over the table set up there. And um, we get references on commentary. Apparently, um, Mean Gene had said something earlier about hearing the argument he had with Sherry, and he'd insisted several times he hadn't spoken to Sherry. And it turns out he was arguing with Medusa on the phone, and he's been two-timing two of the most vicious women in wrestling. So a bit of a interesting ending to a long series of skits here on The Clash.
1: No, but Elundra Elundra Blaze is well happy. She left the WWE for this. <laughs> she came to see whether the ticket was play and gets pointed to a feud with Sherry Martel.
0: I said which in itself could have some potential, but um fighting over Colonel Robert Park is probably not the um the beginning of a classic. No, no.
1: There's a couple of bits though. like when they started fighting, like I think Harlem Heat corpsing in the background, like legitimately laughing, that was the thing. And then but it was all said and done, like this disco inferno they're all fighting in the background. there has got, got two bottles of champagne and he's slowly slinking off into the background. That uh, made me laugh.
0: Yeah, cast of comedy characters here all involved. Um, Buckhouse, Buck and Dick Slater are the only ones that didn't really add anything for my money.
1: They could, they could afford a wedding, but they could afford to lay spread on. <laughs>
0: well. um, from there, we go back to our main event of the segment, which is going to be Ric Flair and the Giant up against Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage. And before any of the entrants come out, we've got Michael Buffer in the ring to do the professional intro. So are you a Michael Buffer fan, Carl?
1: No, not at
0: all. <laughs> Can't disagree there. He's not a favourite of mine. Flair and the Giant come out, and very strangely, they come out to the Giant's ominous music. A um, bit of a weird choice to have Ric Flair strutting down the ring to the Giant's scary cackling. From there, it's time for the baby faces to come out, and no prizes, which. Music they come out to, whose color scheme they come out to, and who completely overshadows the world heavyweight champion. Um, Carl and I were discussing this early, and we've both agreed this is the dick move of the week. Do you want to wax lyrical about Hulk Hogan and his limelight hogging here, Carl? It's just, it's,
1: oh,
0: it's just infuriating that, like, at the time, it,
1: you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that, like, Macho Man was a champion. Like I say, they come out, they're in the red and yellow, they're coming out to Hulk's music you even got, it, it bring out a harem of women, and even got Hulk Hogan's wife in it, and Deborah McMichael's in there too. I didn't
0: spot that. It's, it's, just,
1: uh, it's just so infuriating, and you can see, like, when um, Macho Man releases his rap album, where he's got his, his um, song completely slated in Hulk Hogan, he's well
0: justified,
1: because he's a proper bastard.
0: <laughs> um, you'll find clips of that on the show, but I strongly recommend listening to the whole thing at some point, because it's brilliant. <laughs> My brother had that album, by the way, so I have heard it from start to finish. Wow. A Macho Man rap album, and he had Crush as his bodyguard at the time as well. I mean, that's just, it's it's wrestling at its very best.
1: Is that when his Crush was training to be a boxer as well? Yeah,
0: it was. Ryan right, Adam, sorry. So how much would a Macho Man John Cena rap feud have ruled the world? It doesn't, it doesn't even bear thinking about. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, of course, gets a taste of his own medicine with having his introduction ruined, when Buffer calls him the king of Hulk mania.
4: <laughs>
1: Classic.
0: A bevy of women come out. Um, as you mentioned, Linda Hogan and Deborah McMichael are in there, as is Woman. Um, then, after all the women come down, we get the last one, and it is the lovely Miss Elizabeth, looking especially lovely, lovely in the chest region on this evening. Oh,
1: yeah, the tits on this. It <laughs> it's Something like she walks out, like out and Hulk popped a button. <laughs> He's
0: like, no, no. No wonder Kevin Green wanted to take her out on the town. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's not the um, WrestleMania 3 shy and slinking Miss Elizabeth anymore. She's definitely one of the girls. Oh, definitely. We get some all-round stalling to begin the match, um, including Kevin Green posturing as well, but nothing really happens. Once the match gets underway, Macho Man hits a couple of backdrops and clotheslines on Ric Flair before Flair takes the control and starts to work over the Macho Man. Macho Man fights back with a couple of hope spots, a backslide for a two-count before the Giant and Kevin Green come in, and the Giant does his maniacal laugh, even, (laughs) and some um, really primary school play-level acting from the Giant. It's pretty awful here. (laughs) Um, Another point of reference, as well, is the commentator still banging on about how the Giant knows Hulk Hogan inside out, and how wrestling's in his DNA because he's been born into it with Andre, and, oh, that never gets Never stops getting on my nerves. No. Taste, it's very tasteless. The Giant pounds on Hulk Hogan, hits a nice slam. Uh, as the commentators actually begin referencing WrestleMania 3 here, talking about the classic match when Hogan slammed the Giant and how he fell on him and Bobby Heenan. Really, he's always stuck to his character, how he talks about the Giant fell on him and pinned him for a three, but the referee cheated them. So oh, I always find it weird like when they reference feuds from the other company. How do you feel about that? I think
1: this whole this whole period of time when they're all well, it's more WCW than WWE. Like WCW now, all of a sudden, think it's alright to start talking about like certain things because of the billionaire Ted like war room and whatever. So it's just like you say, like like when the match starts, like oh Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant really early and all this stuff, and it's just it's just unnecessary. Stick to your own shit, and then you'll be alright. It's almost
0: as if they think they've inherited the WWF's history, like. Andre never wrestled for WCW, so it's so weird. Yeah, I think he made, he made like
1: one appearance as a manager or something in WCW. He
0: was on the Clash of the Champions where they brought out all the legends for like 30 years on TBS or something like that. The Giant headbutts the balls of the Macho Man, hits a backbreaker and misses an elbow drop, allowing Hulk Hogan to come in and immediately take the limelight, slamming the Giant and selling his back to get all the sympathy. Rick Flair comes in and hits a vertical suplex, which Hulk Hogan pops up for, like the cunt he is, immediately no selling it. Hogan hits a backdrop before Bobby Heenan says, Do you know how many champs are in this ring? And Tony Schiavone, oh, sorry, do you know how many former champs are in this ring? And Tony Schiavone says, Three. Um, no, they're all <laughs> former champions. <sighs> well, unless you count the Macho I Man being the current champion, but they've all been the champion, is the point I think Bobby Heenan was trying to make here. Yes. Hulk Hulk Hogan presses Ric Flair off the top. Macho Man hits an axe handle off the top. A slam and his top rope elbow. Jimmy Hart gets on the apron to distract the referee before Ric Flair gets in and steals a three count on the Macho Man Randy Savage. Kevin Green tells Hulk Hogan all about it, who goes to get revenge. The Zodiac and Brian Pillman very strangely come out to get involved. Kevin Green and Hulk Hogan take an Ice Age to toss them both over the ring. And we get some pyro to end the show. So what did you think about the main event first and foremost?
1: boring 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 the best bit was like the first the first two minutes of flair strutting around was brilliant well then from there the minute hulk hogan delivered a big boot within the first two minutes and then he just plummeted after that apparently like reading behind the scenes and whatnot apparently the the original finish was performed by hogan but apparently he pulled some shenanigans and got it changed because apparently obviously he'd lost the title to macho man and then this was kind of his like his revenge or whatnot
0: Well, I I think he references in his book, doesn't he, that he's finally put his foot down about not losing every single match by pinfall, that through the whole time Hogan and Savage have come in, that he's not managed to get a, a win on Hogan at all, and he's had wins on Savage, but yeah, Hogan's just treated him like a joke since the day he got there, which is a bit weird considering Flair recruited Hogan and helped him get the biggest salary anyone had had in wrestling at that point. I know it he's it
1: was such a head scratch about Pillman at the end as well. Like He came out he, he spent a good portion of the show, not building him, but putting him out there and then he's he buried, proper buried, it was, it was anybody, he could have thrown anybody out there To do that and they threw pillman out
0: it was very strange well i mean there was even i mean you've still got benoit who didn't make an appearance of the four horsemen and there's plenty of other guys in the dungeon of doom as well like you could have sent the one-man gang out to eat a slam kevin green could have perhaps slammed him and given him the the monster wrestling moment but um no strange to have the zodiac and pillman come out just to be thrown over the top rope and that was the end of it yeah yeah, really, just the booking here is what it is. Um, if it doesn't suit Hogan, it's not going to happen, and quite often that's to the detriment of the product. Overall thoughts on the clash?
1: It wasn't the greatest. It wasn't. No, uh, it was good. It had brief little moments. It was a solid, solid five. We had good moments. We had some very poor moments. It was just. It was typical '96 WCW. It was good. It's it's a good it's a good
0: precursor
1: to see like within. It's not that much long afterwards when things start to
0: take off and whatnot, but... no. Well, that'll do it. That's the best I can say about it, to be honest. Fair enough. That's the Clash of the Champions in a nutshell. Um, So that's one half of our night's viewing in the can. We're going to head over shortly and review the Royal Rumble, and then we'll find out whether or not the WWF had the hotter product at the time.
5: Tonight contains material of a graphic nature. Viewer indiscretion, I mean viewer discretion
2: is advised. Some measure a champion by size, or the strength exuded by muscle and bone. Others are gauged by speed, lauded for courage, or no for their gift to enthrall. In the World Wrestling Federation, the reigning champion is defined by heart. Brett, the Hitman heart. A living legend who has conquered adversity. A man who continues to overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. But tonight, the Hitman must face the challenge of a man who is no mere mortal. A force whose powers are mythical. A phenom whose heart at times can be cold. Razor Ramon, the four-time Intercontinental Champion, displays the heart and ferocity of a lion as well. But tonight, he faces a most peculiar foe in the bizarre Gold Dust. A man whose fascination with machismo seemingly weighs more on his heart than the desire for the gold around Razor's waist. And tonight, in the -the over-the-top rope Royal Rumble match, 30 WWF superstars will attempt to prove that they too possess the heart of a champion. In this battle of elimination, the sole survivor could be the returning hero, the former WWF champion, the new force invading the Federation, or any number of mighty superstars who will go to any lengths to win the guaranteed title shot and a chance to be called champion at WrestleMania tonight. The passion and heroics of these athletes will surely pen a new definition for champion.
0: All right, so we're here now with the 1996 Royal Rumble. Um, we begin with Sonny advising us that viewer indiscretion is advised. Before we go to our usual opening video, decent package here. Really got me hyped up for the Rumble. They normally do a good job, the WWF, with these promo packages. And we go to our commentary team of Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect. Interesting choice there. Were you happy to see Mr. Perfect in this role?
1: You could tell he's, um, throughout the night, he basically copied, he would copy and paste Paul Lance Bobby Enon. He was just, he, he'd, like, he'd actually watching Bobby Enon Rumble, just wrote some. Wrote some sentences down and kept throwing them out over and over again. He wasn't the worst,
0: but he's, he's better than Doc Hendricks. So <laughs> point of reference. <laughs> better than Doc Hendricks. <laughs> there's Doc Hendricks, and then there's good commentary. That, that's not a bad one. Um, I think he was better than Ted DiBiase as well. I'll give him another step up. Oh
1: yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I forgot about the infamous Ted DiBiase.
0: Well they brought Jerry Lawler up for it, and it's like why? Odd choice. Um, the old match striker I'm marking out, bro, is one that sticks in my mind as well.
1: Oh, I still like Matt Stryker, though. I thought he
0: was good. He seems to be all right on Lucha Underground from the one episode I've watched so far, but I'm definitely going to watch some more of it, so I'll let you know.
1: Yeah, he does. We've got a thing over here called WCPW.
0: Yep. Um,
1: um, he he starts to commentate on the pay-per-views and what on that now, and same old same old match striker.
0: Fair enough. So, first match is Jeff Jarrett up against Ahmed Johnson. Um, we get... The Fink introducing them, and I'm instantly given a warm batch of childhood. I love how it's <laughs> ringing outside.
1: Yeah, I've got the same. I've got exactly the same nude.
0: Just bring him back. I don't care how he looks. Hide him. Don't let him be seen. Uh,
1: because... when, when, um, Paul brought him back for <laughs> the one and he actually cried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love the um... thing. Jeff Jarrett tries to jump Ahmed from the off, but no such luck. Um, He then takes a powder and runs around ringside a bit. He gets in the ring and Ahmed Johnson no-sells some knees, then throws Jeff Jarrett with a huge hip toss and tosses him out the ring with a headlock, so interesting start off there. Clothesline by Ahmed, couple of shoulder blocks, and then a power slam for a two-count. A flying clothesline, uh, but he goes up for a second and misses it, getting caught in the ropes, allowing Jeff Jarrett to clothesline him from the apron, throw him into the steps, and then Ahmed Johnson no-sells, three axe handles. Comes off with an inverted atomic drop, a clothesline, and a beautiful spine buster, Jeff Jarrett's out the ring, and he comes over the top with a plancher. So, interesting athleticism there for the big man. He misses a somersault splash, allowing Jeff Jarrett to lock on the figure four. But Johnson eventually reverses it. Jeff Jarrett is kicked out and goes to get the guitar, comes off the top rope, and smashes the guitar over Ahmed Johnson's head for a disqualification. Not the best match, but a fucking awesome spot to finish it.
1: It killed killed, killed the crowd, the guitar spot did. All I've got here is where Amit Johnson came out. He
0: should have been called Amit Johnson baby oil.
1: Ridiculous.
0: <laughs> he was swimming in it. <laughs> you wouldn't give a whole bottle of baby oil to the most dangerous man in wrestling, would you? He's um he's a scary beast in the ring.
1: Oh god, yeah. This was like this was good Amit Johnson as well. This was when he had some wrestling ability.
0: Before many, many surgeries.
1: Many, many, yes.
0: So, disqualification finish, not the best way to open your pay-per-view. But from there, we go backstage to Todd Pettengale, who is with Diesel, who tells them he's going to win the Rumble and take back his WWF title at WrestleMania. Here, this is a point in time where they can't decide with Diesel if they want him to be a heel or a face. And his character's jumping in between. It's hard to keep up with. I'd say he's leaning more towards the heel side of things here, but he's very much smarmy Kevin Nash in this one as well.
1: Unless you wear any glove. There's yep. your friend. <laughs> Some great foreshadowing as well for The Undertaker
0: Yeah, We go to the Body Donners Trying to wrestle the Tag Team Championships Away from the Smoking Guns And Sonny is looking awesome at this point as well A long time before falling down to Skype and porn <laughs> I
1: thought Tom Pritchard looked like Fit Finlay as well I was, confu- I was briefly confused for a second
0: Yeah, they looked like a pair of Fit Finleys Yeah Tom Pritchard looked like Chris Candido here though they he, he did an awesome job looking like him oh god yeah have you heard um, Bruce Pritchard tell on his podcast the story of getting to break this gimmick to his brother no no it's really funny he talks about how he volunteered for the job of telling Tom Pritchard that he had to cut his hair and dye it blonde for the gimmick <laughs>
4: If, not, if you've not listened
0: to um, Bruce Pritchard's podcast, by the way, highly recommend It it took me a while to, to give it a go because I've got so many podcasts that I listen to, but I've breezed through most of the episodes in a couple of weeks. It's really enjoyable. It's,
1: it's on my the list. There's that and um, the Tom Cyrus one. I'm not Cyrus sure that one
0: either. Which one, sorry?
1: Uh, Lance Storm and Cyrus—they've got one. Really? Chasing towns or something? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be—it's
0: supposed to be really, really good. Oh, I'll have to give that one a listen as well. Um, on one of the more recent episodes of the Bruce Pritchard one, Tony Schiavone's just announced he's got a WCW one with the, with the same guy that does Pritchard's with him as well. So I'll probably check that out at some point too. While
1: well, he's taking coffee orders,
0: I thought he's a barista, wasn't he? That's so that good, Tony Schiavone. Was he a barista? Was he? Yeah. I thought he um, he went off and commentated on the Braves for a while, didn't he? Yeah,
1: I think I think, well, okay, a, a barista's
0: his day job. Mm, interesting, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> sidebar there, this match gets started with Skip and Billy Gunn. Skip hits a nice uh, head scissor, Billy Gunn comes back with a backdrop, and then the Body Donners double-team Billy and Bart for a little while. Billy comes over the top rope to plunge at both the Body Donners at ringside, and then... He tags and gets the crowd to cheer the tag to Bart, but no, they're having none of it. He's really sort of trying to bring them in, and as you said in the previous match, they appear to have been killed already. Bart comes in and hits a big press slam, which does get some cheers. And then the smoking guns rip off one of my favorite tag teams, the Heart Foundation, hitting the classic heart attack finish, but they don't get the win with it. Sunny gets knocked off the apron inadvertently by Billy Gunn, and then milks his attention, um, playing it up that she's not hurt, but she's suckering in. All four on the outside for a brawl. Skip hits a plancher on Billy Gunn to return the favor. As Vince McMahon says, "Billy trouble, uh, sorry, Billy is in trouble with Skip on the inside and Flip on the outside." <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Perfect calls him out on it though, and Vince does say, "Yeah, I think I did say Flip, sorry." <laughs> The Body Donners are in control. We get a really nice gut-wrench power bomb by Dr. Tom on Billy, and then a sort of constant double team while Bart is getting frustrated on the apron selling that he wants to get in the ring. The Body donors hit a double flapjack for a two-count, and we get classic Vince McMahon. He got him! He got him! Oh, no, he didn't, on commentary. We get the warm tag to Bart Gunn, who comes in with some punches and a backdrop. Before all four men get in the ring, the the smoking guns hit the side and winder finish. Before Zip comes off the top rope while Bart is being pinned, this gets him a two count. They hit a double team suplex before Billy Gunn hits a spear and they on one of the body dunners and Bart small packages the other for the one, two, three, in a decent tag match. Not great, but not bad.
1: Oh, it was it was it was pretty solid. I mean yeah, good tag from the Donners, some good moves. The ending was a bit screwy. I thought that was a bit, the spear roll-up didn't look very connected in sync. But apart from that, no, I, I enjoyed this. I got, when I saw um, Sunny go down, and obviously you forget things when I thought, oh, right, I thought it was going to be a screw job by the Donners were going over. But
0: Yeah, I thought the same.
1: Yeah. So I remember the whole time as well when obviously when um Sonny becomes the smoking guns manager, I was all it was all getting very blurred. I couldn't remember what was going to what was happening or what was going to come out of it.
0: The tag but team no, scene, did, did the job. for the next 18 months is really hard to keep up with, but yeah, I I definitely agree. I just think it lacked real solid characters to invest in, and it had it had that, this could have been a really good match. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I just feel like obviously, Chris Candido's like. Oh, Dr. Tom's alright, but like Chris Candido's another level compared to the other people
0: in the ring. I kind of felt a bit sorry for him. Go to a compilation video of the Best of Billionaire Ted. I'm not sure what place this had on the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, but it is what it is. Um, From there, we go into a hype video for Razor Ramon and Goldust theme, and this one's been heating up quite nicely on Raw. Gold... (laughs) Goldust, of course, is challenging Razor for his Intercontinental Championship. And during the introductions, we see our first ever appearance of Marlena. So, this one got me excited. I'm a big Marlena fan, personally. Oh, God, yeah. I
1: got a tweet off um, Terry Runners once. It was a highlight
0: of my month. Oh, really?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Goldust comes out to the ring, and my notes here just say he looks very horny on his way to the ring. (laughs) He's, um, he's licking his fingers and rubbing his own ass, so make of that what you will, but he looks like he's in the mood for something other than a match with Razor.
1: It was a, a lot toned down from earlier Goldust, though, to be fair. It was still provocative, but nowhere near as bad as it used
0: to be. Yeah, I think it, it, it gets worse when the match gets underway. He still does one of my favourite Goldust dirty spots when he um, rubs his hand down the rope during his entrance, so that's one of, one of my favourites of his manner of <laughs> A Goldust
1: dirty spot. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when the match gets underway, Razor gets on the arm early and paintbrushes Gold Dust to show his superiority. Before Razor gets felt up on a standing switch, so Gold Dust gets behind him and rubs up his hairy chest, and this pisses Razor off pretty pretty much. And while he's there getting fired up, Gold Dust cocks back with his huge slap. So story of the match early doors is he's, he's trying to get in Razor's head and then he's gonna smash him when he does. Razor then spanks Gold Dust's ass, and I'm not sure that's the way to get rid of the unwanted attention by another man, hides behind Marlena on the out. It's very cat and mouse in the early portion of this match. Razor then clotheslines Gold Dust from uh, inside out and then they just sort of do nothing for a while. It's it's very stalling and there's not a lot going on. I really did forget how dull the early Gold Dust matches could be where he just avoids you and is very provocative but not much wrestling going on.
1: If you're if if you, you, you drinking this game, don't take a shot every time a, a man
0: says the word bizarre, as you'll be smashed by the, by the end of it. It's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> the bizarre! Bizarre offence! The bizarre one! Is
0: her, what was the other one he used very early? It was histrionics. That was his favourite. <laughs> Between that and notwithstanding, you could do some really serious liver damage.
1: Oh, God, yeah.
0: When the match does get back underway, we have Golddust using Marlena as a shield again before taking over the op- offence, hits a top rope axe handle and a bulldog for a two count, then Marlena blows Golddust <laughs> into Razor's eyes. <laughs> Golddust hits a swinging neck breaker for a two count and puts on a sleeper before they do a ref bump in the corner backing him in there allowing Razor to nail a low blow kick. Razor then comes back with a discus punch, a choke slam for a two count, and then the SOS for a two count before Goldust puts a thumb in his eye to slow him down. We have him crutched on the top rope, Gold Dust that is, so Razor can get up and hit his super back suplex. Marlena distracts the ref to stop the count, and the 1-2-3 kid comes in, climbs the top rope, and nails Razor in the back of the head with a spinning heel kick. He actually doesn't catch him with his front leg, as Mr Perfect references on commentary, but the trailing leg smacks him in the back of the head, so that could have hurt. This allows Gold Dust to get the cover for the 1-2-3, and a new Intercontinental Champion, Mr Perfect, declaring, Gold Dust has all the gold.
1: But none of the wrestling talent. Well, like, you got the wrestling talent, but this gimmick, this, this match was horrendous. I hated it. It's just psychological technique after psychological technique with a bit of wrestling. It's just, just boring. Absolutely boring.
0: The Gold Dust gimmick early on, I think, is very much a house show gimmick. It's designed to get the live crowd riled up and get a lot of heat for the finish. But for the people watching at home, it is boring as fuck.
1: It's when, as well, at the start, Mr Perfect says that, like, Ramon's a four-time Intercontinental Champion. And you're like, in those days, that was, like, who's was on an of?
0: And you, you just forget. I normally, after a couple of reigns with the IC, went into the world title picture, and that was Razor's beef with the WWF and why he left, because he never got that next bump. Yeah,
1: he never got it in WCW, so... No. More for him. But
0: he did get a lot more money and got to drink on the job, so I suppose, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. <laughs> His
1: choice of Nitro Girls.
0: <laughs> the match was very slow, very methodical. In the end, it ended up, the overall package, probably a decent showcase for Goldust as a character, but it didn't do much for the viewer. At least we got Marlena. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> From there, we get A doctor telling us that Shawn Michaels is ready to return to the ring. He's not sure he'd put him in the ring with 29 other guys. Royal Rumble shot if you're doing the game as well. But he is okay to be back, so it is what it is. We then get the classic round of Royal Rumble promos.
5: Coming up next is the Royal Rumble. And you're looking at the next winner of the Royal Rumble. And Shawn Michaels, he said it's a dream come true. To be the WWF champion, well Shawn Michaels, I'm gonna win the Royal Rumble, and I'm gonna end your career like I should have done the first time.
3: Royal Rumble. Just when you thought the demons were gone, you've got a snake that you've got to deal with. Each and every one of you will get a taste of me. I just might get a taste of you.
2: I'm gonna let you peons in on a little secret. Why do you think it was called the Royal Rumble, huh? (laughs) because it's gonna be won by royalty me the king jerry lawler
5: <laughs> i'm walking into the royal rumble as the major underdog as all my matches are the chances are 30 to 1 that i'm gonna win but when i walk out of the royal rumble i am gonna be the winner i'm confident and i'm happy and remember in the world wrestling federation anything could happen
4: <laughs> yeah! oh, this
5: is the kind of that you wait a lifetime for the chance to guide the career of the most powerful force the world wrestling federation i'm about to release this mastodon into the
3: royal rumble it's time. it's time it's time bless my eyes deceive me hbk is back in the saddle again what are my odds of doing it one more time winning the rumble are you kidding me i did it once i'm bound Again, because this year is so much last year. The Heartbreak Kid and all his fans, now known as The Click, are going to turn the hopes and dreams of a 12-year-old boy into a destiny and a reality. At WrestleMania 12, you'll be looking at the new World
4: Wrestling
0: Federation Every year, I love it when they do this. Um... I used to love, in the very early 90s, when they would do this, picking how many different backstage areas they could pick to do these promos. So, that really tickled me. Um, what do you think about the classic Royal Rumble promos? I miss them. I
1: miss them so much. I miss it's either that or even when... Even, like, the end of the 90s, where you'd have the... Where you went and picked the numbers and stuff. Like, those little bits, on they added, they added a lot to a Royal Rumble. And now we just got that one this year with Sami Zayn and Dean Ambrose. And that was about it, but... I love it. I love the whole thing. I remember the 92 one, the
0: Repo Man and stuff like that. It was Ted DiBiase buying a number from one of the Twin Towers is another classic one that I loved. Yes. So that was good. And um, the, uh, not so much a, a Royal Rumble tumbler segment, but when the Macho King cost the Warrior the title in the 91 Rumble and then didn't appear and they spent the whole match wondering who hadn't showed up before telling us the Warrior must have run him out of the building, the Royal Rumble stories, they never get a hold. No. So, from there, we go to our Royal Rumble match. And this is one of them... Oh, I hate when they do this on pay-per-view. The Rumble isn't the last match of the show. Never like it when they order it this way. The Rumble should always end the show, in my opinion. Do you agree with that?
1: No, oh, definitely. I've got it in big, big, big italics at the top of my page. Like, oh, I always hate a Midway Rumble. They did it when the one where Angle faced Henry as well, didn't they? I always remember that. I was,
0: no, it is. it just makes me... It makes me cross. And they only did that from memory... So that they could have the spot where the Undertaker comes out at the end, and didn't the posts or something explode? Yeah, you know, so they sacrificed the entire show for one spot at the end.
1: Yeah, no, I don't. It's when well, the whole build is the Royal Rumble, and then you put it on in the middle, it... and then you expect your crowd to be ready for whatever you fight, your title match or whatever it's going to be. It's just, it just makes no sense whatsoever.
0: Yeah, especially considering what's going to be the finish of these two matches. Um, we'll get there, but yeah, very, very strange. I suppose this again, though, like, not to to jump too far ahead, but really it's been done this way just because of how these matches finish. So I think with all the minds they've got in the WWF, they could have found a better way to get to this. Yeah, Vince McMahon tells us on commentary that in the first ever free-for-all, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy defeated Triple H. (laughs) Um, Yep, that's um, something you won't hear in this day and age, anyone defeating Triple H. (laughs) And um, this was a match to determine who got number one and who got number 30. So that's an interesting concept. I wish they'd actually included that match on the show, not because I thought it would have been anything decent, but just for um, for historical context, it would have been good to put that in here as well. I think he
1: lost by DQ as well.
0: Yeah, I think you might be right there. Did he, Um, he brought the trash can in or something like that, I think.
1: Yeah, I always also, I also consider that like, whenever they do this, like, the fits and spirits whenever they do this gimmick. Like, if I was a wrestler, like, when they're all the Royal Rumble come around, i just challenge somebody to a 1-30 match, just take the chance. Like, i challenge you to number 30 spot. If I lose, i get number one. They'd be like, what have you got to
0: lose? Yeah, absolutely. That'd, that'd be a, a great idea.
1: Um, Can you imagine the other 28 people? Like, what the fuck? Like, I want to be in that match. Ch- I want to come in number Challenge
0: Challenger for number 14 up against n- number 27. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 um, I don't mind the number one and the number 30 being used to advance storylines, but I don't like knowing who all 30 entrants are coming into the Rumble. I always hope that there's going to be surprise entrants. Yes. Yeah. We then have Triple H come out in his classic blue blood attire. I've never liked this gimmick, but for some reason, I've got a strange obsession with getting a hold of his Mattel action figure in this attire now. And I'm out at number two, because number one and two always have to be feuding. It is Henry Godwin. So this was a really, really awful choice to start. They normally have two really good workers to get the match underway in a, in a hot fashion, but this was not it. And he comes out to a really awful knockoff on the network of Don't Go Messing With The Country Boy. Yeah, any Godwin- slot bucket. Yeah, any slot bucket. Godwin goes on the offense early with punches and a clothesline and a backdrop before avoiding um, before a press slam is avoided by Triple H. Hogs in complete control as we come to our number three entrant, Bob Backlund. So I didn't realise Bob Backlund was still going into 1996, but here he is, looking whiter than ever. <laughs> Um, He saves Triple H from a certain elimination and then goes to work on Godwin. uh, And the three take turns in control here, neither building an alliance as we get uh, number four. And it is Jerry the King Lawler. So now we know why Mr. Perfect is on commentary. He convinces the two heels to team up with him to take on Godwin. Tries to slop Godwin while they hold him, but Godwin breaks himself free. Gets a hold of the slop bucket and slops Lawler on the outside of the ring. Burger King chance. Yep, definitely. Staple of the 90s. Yep. Um, do you, did you spot there was a guy in the crowd as well wearing a Burger King uh, crown? Yes. <laughs> Classic. When you when he you he pop that on the way. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you know, you'd like to hope so, because you would hope that he's not sort of had that safe for weeks just for this very occasion. <laughs> <laughs> you'd like to think that was a last-minute decision and not his big idea for the Royal Rumble. Yes. Number five is Bob Sparkplug Holly. He comes in and backdrops Jerry Lawler. And then we get a series of very slow elimination attempts by everyone in the ring. Nothing whatsoever happens before number six, making his final appearance for a couple of years, King Mabel.
1: Can... I love the fact this is the first year where everyone gets their, their music as well yeah like, I remember watching the early rumbles and being like every time like eh then nothing it used to really get me down and this year it's like music I was like yes
0: yeah music was a definite they made a lot of changes to the rumble over the years and music was about the only good one in my opinion yeah 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 don't mess with the two minutes keep it two minutes don't add an extra ten competitors don't do anything to the rumble just make it two minutes with music
1: or drive your wrestlers down to the ring yeah <laughs>
0: You fight wrestlers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very sneaky keeping that off camera, but in this day and age, really, you're not going to hide it. No. Mabel comes out with Mo, and Vince McMahon takes me again back to my childhood, assuring us that the ring has been reinforced. I want to know what they reinforce the <laughs> ring with. Mabel's got to think as well, like, I know I'm big, Vince, but this match is designed to have 30 people in it. You don't have to reinforce it just because I'm fat. Yeah. <laughs> Mabel gets in and goes to work on Henry Godwin before Triple H and Bob Holly take the ring, uh, the centre of the ring, sorry, while the rest are just feigning eliminations around the corners. It's very slow. Before, at number seven, the crowd have got something to pop them. It's Jake the Snake Roberts coming out to a big reaction. He empties his huge sack. the into- <laughs> <laughs> into- into- <laughs> And um, <laughs> giving everyone in the crowd a shot of his massive snake, which sends everybody in the ring packing. That is a big fucking snake. It's huge.
1: Bad play to Lawler.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah um, Lawler's the one that eats the snake, or the snake eats him, as it were. It's a big... Oh, I've got here, this snake has got to be a fucking anaconda. It is massive. With, with everybody out the ring, we come back in. Jake and his handler put the snake back into the bag. Mabel ends up tied in the ropes. And strangely, Jerry Lawler seems to have disappeared. Stay tuned on that one, because this is one I definitely remember from childhood. The number eight spot is given to a surprise entrant, but possibly one of the most underwhelming surprise entrants of all time. He may have even been announced on Raw, so don't quote me on that. It is Dory Funk Jr., and there is nothing Jr. about this man coming out looking like your granddad.
1: Dressed exactly the same as Bob Backlund as well, which is always which is always helpful when two people are dressed the same. And then, they, then they lock horns in a... They... Pensioner
0: Rumble. <laughs> Pension on a pole match in the middle of the 96 Rumble. Uh, horrendous. Vince tells us that Terry Funk was invited but couldn't make it and he's watching on from Germany. Fucking hell. If you're going to get a Funk brother, Vince, don't cheap out and get Dory. No. Get Flash. <laughs> Get Jimmy Jack. Fuck anyone but this. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing happening in the ring here, but we are getting huge DDT chance. That is a move that never stopped being over with wrestling fans. And the camera conveniently shows us the corner apron of the ring and Jerry Lawler peeks out from underneath. Number nine comes out and it is the absolute gigantic Yokozuna. He looks like he ate several Royal Rumble entrants before coming to the ring. He is fucking huge at this point. Probably in the 600 pound range I would say by now. Bob Backland puts the crossface chicken wing on Dory, but Yoko breaks it up and tosses backland for the first elimination. Mabel then avalanches Yoko zuna onto Henry Godwin and that's a spot I would not want to take <laughs> and it looks like from here Mo on the outside of the ring spits on Yoko uh, sorry gets spit on by Yoko Zuna so that was a bit gross and not brought up on commentary I'm not sure what that was all about.
1: Yeah, he did did walk up that way. He probably just bit up
0: the saliva, to be fair. Had a bone or something in his teeth. (laughs) Mabel splashes Henry Godwin as we get number 10. It is the 1-2-3 kid who's looking over his shoulder, and rightfully so because Razor Ramon chases him down to the ring. The kid's jumping in and out and running all around. The officials finally get a hold of Razor and get him to leave, and the kid joins the match as Dory Funk puts an aeroplane spin on him, so fucking hell like avoiding razor ramon and taking an airplane spin from dory funk this is a not not a good start for the kid no number 11 is omari from japan and that is all i know about omari <laughs> he got the generic audience express music yeah and we get here that he's taken down by yoko as um dory funk hits a series of suplexes on the one two three kid further ruining his evening Number 12 is Savio Vega, who comes in and hits a spin kick on Mabel, resuming 1995's hottest program.
1: And we got the Vince McMahon, Savio Vega! <laughs>
0: <laughs> From here, Yokozuna gets the most impressive elimination so far, tossing Mabel out before Jake gets rid of Omari. Number 13, making his debut in the World Wrestling Federation, is the man they call Vader. This is something I've been looking forward to on the show. Vader's early days in the WWF. Very pumped up for this. I hope they're hungry, because there's going to be a few potatoes going in that ring in a minute. <laughs> and do you know that Vader here was actually already injured, and his con- yes. contract agreement with the WWF was for him to work this, then the angle he does on the next night's Raw, and to go away and have surgery and be gone for six months. Yes. It doesn't work out. Shame, really. Yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't work out that way. And it probably would have been better off, rather than bringing him back without having anything for him to do. It could have really built his, his um, aura, but not to be. Anyway, he comes in, and Savio Vega gets rid of Dory Funk Jr., thank Christ, before Vader starts (laughs) picking people off one at a time, and as you said earlier, unloading with potatoes. He settles in on Savio Vega as a victim, beats the shit out of him for a brief minute there, and we get number 14, Doug Gilbert, and Vince McMahon shits all over him by saying, Who is this?
1: Mr. Perfect as well. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) All the
0: crowd, they <laughs> I ask who is this And then as she said Mr Perfect also asks who is this So there <laughs> you go <laughs> And then um, They do eventually tell us that He has won a tournament in the USWA Memphis territory To gain entrance into the Royal Rumble And Mr Perfect makes himself out to be a real prick By eventually telling us that he was tag partners With his brother Eddie How <laughs> are you going to tag with his brother And then pretend not to know who he is on TV <laughs> Jake hits a DDT on Savio Vega before they line up Doug Gilbert and clearly tells Vader to hit him with a clothesline. Gilbert just sort of stood in the ring waiting for Vader and has a word before taking the clothesline. Vader then gets an ugly-looking press slam on Gilbert to toss him out. He's just basically murdering the whole pack, but strangely has avoided Yokozuna so far. Number 15 entrant is member of the squat team number one, and that's what they call him, squat team number one. Vader tosses him out straight away when he gets into the ring. As Triple H and the 123 Kid, future partners in crime, unload on each other in the ring. It's here where Vader and Yokozuna finally square off, and the crowd look pretty up for this. Um, I was as well, as Jim Cornette on the outside is begging them to stop, of course, both being managed by Jim Cornette at this point in time. Number 16 is the second member of the squat team, and they both come back down to the ring. They're identical twins, so no one can really stop them. And they get back in the ring only to be dumped out by Vader and Yokozuna respectively. So not a good showing for what looked like it could be a pretty serious heel team there.
1: They, they, I think this is like the first of like a couple of times where they just uh,
0: like appeared. They appeared in the attitude Era for like two weeks and then they went they got, went away again. Interesting.
1: But who would ever take a moonsault off those guys?
0: <sighs> not me. Number 17 is um, Owen Hart as Yoko and Vader begin to kill savio vega together um he's he's the unlucky man of the evening here for sure number 18 is sean michaels and vince mcmahon on commentary really goes he he just basically says here he comes and i just think (laughs) and so do you vince so do you because (laughs) he um, is just verbally ejaculating over sean here and it's 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 a bit of an ongoing theme for the next year or so yeah Vader tosses Savio Vega out as Yokozuna and Vader resume their little slugfest, and Shawn Michaels comes up behind them and dumps them both out at the same time. Interesting way for them to go, but it's the idea that Shawn could get underneath them and lift these two behemoths. It does make me suspend disbelief a little further than I'm willing to. Loved it, though. They did? Vince loved it more.
1: He <laughs> was more? The crowd Vince is
0: growing <laughs> Shawn Michaels then in another move that you don't often see Press slams the one two three kid to the outside Shawn definitely, um, you can tell, is, is being positioned as, as the big dog here in this match As number 19 comes to the ring and it's Hakushi Vince and Yoko start to brawl on the outside Vader gets back in and press slams Shawn Michaels out And then immediately eliminates every single person in the ring which we're told is not going to stand because Vader's no longer legal. They play hard and loose with that rule from year to year. And the officials and eventually Gorilla Monsoon come out to stop Vader continuing his assault. Number 20 comes out, and it is Tatanka, a name I didn't expect to see in this Rumble. We come back in and Hakushi hits his China handspring elbow before Owen Hart tosses Hakushi out over the top rope for an elimination. Number 21 is Aldo Montoya. And did you catch Mr. Perfect's line on commentary as he comes out? No. He says, Vince, he's got the jock strap on the wrong part of his body.
1: <laughs> I find it, Richard, it's really strange, like, that when he said that, like, Titanka and Karma later on, like, oh, I was still part of the Million Dollar Corporation, and I was like, that was still going?
0: Well, on Raw at the moment, Ted DiBiase is really only appearing with Austin, but that's mostly because the other guys mentioned don't appear on Raw, so. From there, Shawn Michaels pulls Jerry Lawler out from under the ring to a big pop from the crowd and then eliminates him in pretty short order. Tatanka eliminates Aldo Montoya. 22 is Diesel, he tosses out to Tanker. Number 23 is Kama, as Diesel accidentally nails Shawn Michaels when Kama ducks. And number 24 is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ringmaster
1: Steve Austin
0: yeah. with her. It sure is. Um, that little bit of blonde puff on top, it made all the difference, didn't it? Yeah. He attacks Bob Holly, who I forget is even in the ring. He's been in there for ages, but he's not made a bit of difference to this match. And Austin dumps him out and gets rid of him once and for all.
1: With a high knee as well.
0: Yeah, interesting choice of moves there. Number twenty-five is the one and only Barry Horowitz. Um, Diesel then tosses out Horowitz pretty much straight away, so he makes no difference to the match whatsoever. Or is it? No, it's not Horowitz. It's Holly that Diesel tosses out. Sorry, I've got to stop using what no, Triple lonely. H. Triple H, <laughs> and they're all starting with fucking H. So many H's. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to learn to read my own notes. I've fucked this Rumble up royally. <laughs> you may or may not hear how I fucked the rumble up. We'll see how production goes. <laughs> number twenty six is Fatu. He does not make a difference before number twenty seven comes out, Isaac Yankum. <laughs> Repeat spots. It's Kane. It's gotta be Kane. <laughs> Owen Hart dumps out Barry Horowitz and nails the Enziguri. on am Michael's the move that put him out of action. Um, although according to Sean, it was nine thugs in Syracuse, New York. Diesel. <laughs> Diesel then dumps Owen Hart and his stay in this match was far too brief considering all the dross in the early portion. Austin Shawn Michael's um signature pose in a move that really cracks me up, you know, the um the bending and the and the muscle pose. No, oh, yeah, that was
1: brilliant. But then he gets clocked by Diesel straight from behind. It was very for the center ring ringmaster it was supposed to be like quite straight legs to do that little bit, it was a bit like, oh I wasn't expecting
0: that. No, me neither. Number 28 is Marty Jannetty. He and Shaw Michaels attack each other in a little review of the Rockers' breakup feud there. And then number 29 is the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. He comes out and dumps Marty Jannetty as Isaac Yankum tosses out Fatu, And Austin has been eliminated somewhere, but I've got no idea when and where that happened. Number 30, as we spoke about earlier, is Duke the Dumpster, Drosy, And Owen Hart sneaks out and nails Shaw Michaels. David Boy Smith saves Sean from being eliminated. And then Sean drop kicks Yankum out of the ring. Diesel and Karma both clothesline the Duke out. And the final four are Sean Michaels, the British Bulldog, Diesel, and Karma Mustafa.
1: We get there, we get when um, Vince McMahon goes like, it's the final four. And then you can imagine him like in his brain like, oh, I like that, I like that. <laughs> but then Fast forward a year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They, they, it was, was far too eliminated, uh, Stone Cold, as well, uh, the ringmaster as well. Was it? Okay, I completely missed that elimination watching. It's hard to write all the notes for a rumble while still catching all the eliminations. Those and Battle Royals are always a tough gig.
1: Well, it's when they, when they say like when, when the commentators are like, how did he go? And then you sit there waiting for the replay, and then it never comes, and then they'll replay one that you actually did see. Yeah, brilliant.
0: Sean closed lines come out straight away because he does not belong in the mix here. Diesel tosses out... Oh, no, sorry. Did Sean toss karma, or did Diesel? Diesel Diesel,
1: his karma, and then he turns around and gets kicked in the face. Yeah. And then he goes out. Super
0: kick, yeah. So, Shawn wins his second Royal Rumble in a row. Diesel on the outside teases a heel turn, gets in as Shawn Michaels is stripping for some God knows reason. And then Diesel stares down Sean, who looks petrified, before putting his hand up for their classic jumping high five.
1: Diesel beat your bulldog outside as well. Yeah, he did. With his man.
0: He stays around sulking around ringside for quite a while here, doesn't he? Looking visibly pissed off while Sean dances.
1: Yeah, it's like when the lights go out for like the Shawn Michaels fireworks, you can still see Diesel like stood on the ring apron as well. And it's just a bit like bog off.
0: Yeah, it's very strange. Mm. But as we spoke about earlier, this whole scenario here allows us to get our next feud boiling. Another thing that gets lost in trying to make this happen is there's no hype video for the bret hart undertaker main event we go straight no. to our entrances the lights go out the undertaker's coming out and diesel still hasn't left ringside so him and the undertaker have a little bit of a confrontation diesel for the second time puts hands on paul bear i don't know what paul's done to upset diesel uh, but the undertaker saves him and shoves diesel begins to attack him as officials pull them apart undertaker no sells some punches and we have the classic Diesel line, I'm not afraid of the dark. Yeah, take with
4: his facial mask
0: as well. Um, well, did you hear what Vince called it? Because he refuses to say the word mask. His facial appliance. Yeah, this is a facial appliance. It is not a mask. <laughs> it, it's right next to the blenders and the microwaves. <laughs> the match gets underway. Bret Hart, of course, um, and this is a story of many of his title reigns, has to come out and not be the focus of the show, despite main eventing with the World Heavyweight title. And when the match gets underway, he's all over The Undertaker early, who's stalking and no-selling. He tosses Bret Hart to the corner and goes on the attack, lifts him up for a big double-handed choke, and this is a um, very methodical Undertaker in complete control at the start of the match. He works a choke for a while, hits the old school as the crowd goes quiet as Brett comes back with a second rope, clothesline, then clotheslines the Undertaker out of the ring who lands on his feet and Brett hits him with a nice plauncher. Brett then goes off the apron, but Undertaker catches him and runs him into the post as they brawl around the ringside area for a little while. And Brett re- No count out. out. No, no count out. Uh, they're very liberal with That's when nice Yeah, no DQ on the choker
1: either, earlier.
0: This could be the, um, the beginning of main event style in WWF.
1: I think this whole, this all the whole, sh- the whole show is starting to like. Is a parallel between stuff in this show and like even like the modern day now like are starting to become a thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, from there, the Undertaker goes to Irish Whip Bret the Hitman Hart on the outside of the ring. That is, but Bret reverses it and Undertaker takes the sick knees first bump into the ring stairs. Always a big fan of that. Undertaker and uh, Mankind's another one that did that quite often as well. Yeah. Really good stuff there. From there, the <coughs> Brett begins to work on the leg of the Undertaker that's been injured, still on the outside. They've been outside for minutes, as you already you mentioned. Um, they go back in, and Brett works the leg, puts on a figure four, which eventually gets reversed, and tries to get off the Undertaker's facial appliance. Brett goes back to the leg while the Undertaker takes him outside and begins to choke him with a cable while the referee is distracted with Paul Bearer. So at least there's your excuse for no DQ or count out this time.
1: In the crowd at this point. crowd's absolutely dead. Yeah, they've got, they got, they got the, the worst rest in peace chant. Rest in peace. Like the whole time
0: Brett's on offense. Yeah, there's no one to boo here. That's the problem. And they're both cheating, so... Yeah. Undertaker nails Brett with a chair as the referee's distracted still with Paul Bearer. They get back in, and Brett Hart goes back to work on the leg to some mixed reactions. He's not getting really much of a face pop considering he's the underdog fighting from underneath. He puts Undertaker's leg round the post before Undertaker fires back with a leg drop, kind of abandoning what's been happening all match, and a clothesline. Bret Hart uses a stun gun, putting the Undertaker throat first on the ropes and a DDT for a two count, and the commentators tell us that he's not as good at that as Jake Roberts. We get uh That was also um, a- another point about the crowd there. We're 20 minutes in, and that was the first near fall.
1: Yeah. This is Russo slowly starting to take... Like, he's, he's slowly starting now. He's, he's a seven, so... We're getting, like, face versus face, but both wrestlers heels and all that kind
0: of malarkey. Shades of grey. <laughs> we get a um, a Russian leg sweep from Brett. Undertaker sits up. A huge bulldog from Brett, which also has the Undertaker sit up. A backbreaker and a second rope elbow drop. And then the sharpshooter attempt, but he's goozled by the Undertaker. Sadly, doesn't hit lift him for the chokeslam. They both come off the ropes with a double clothesline and then another weak rest in peace chant from the crowd. Bret Hart takes off the turnbuckle cover, still working a little bit of a heel style. He also rips off the facial appliance, and he puts Undertaker's face first into the exposed buckle to booze. Undertaker hits a tombstone pretty much immediately, goes for the pin, but Diesel comes back out, grabs the referee for a lame disqualification finish, um, another bad finish on the night, and Undertaker... Refuses to turn around and look at where the referee is, so goes over and asks Paul Bearer what happened, who points to a smiling Big Daddy Cool on the outside. Just really poor all-round this was. Diesel flips him the bird and leaves the ringside area. And um, Vince McMahon tells us to be stay tuned because we've got Royal Rumble Plus coming up. But before we go to that, what did you think about the main event?
1: Boring, boring, boring. Again, you, end, you last match in the car and it ends with DQ. Hate that. Obviously, it's to serve a purpose, but if no, who just they tried the tombstone, they were on the Undertaker's tombstone, and Brett was pretty was pretty good, pretty special. Um, Brett taking his mask off and asking, freaked out, even though he to take a look exactly the same as he's always looked, <laughs> was a bit odd. That, but yeah, at the end, where like Taker's motioning for the belt because he thinks he's won, even though he didn't even try and count, and then Paul on to point at Diesel, it was
0: it was a clusterfuck. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't. It wasn't
1: it was it's literally, the Bretts match against Diesel at 95, this was a, pretty much the same. Like, the same style, going for the leg, even the same turnbuckle spots, it, same schmars at the end and whatnot. It
0: was just, it wasn't pretty. No, it lacked a lot of, like, the table bump and a lot of the high spots as well. Um, they could have done this finish with a hot match beforehand. They chose to, to go this route, and Brett you know, often said, he often lays the blame of his title reigns at the people around him. But I have to say, for an awesome worker, and he's got a guy, The Undertaker, that Brett gets on well with here. They made a serious miscalculation when coming up with the story of this match. And I think that one's got to lay squarely at the feet of Brett because he doesn't do anything as far as match quality goes that he doesn't want to do. And they really, for two guys, I've got a lot of love for. They had a bit of a stinker here.
1: Well it's the fact of well, like I say the the they had to put the they put this main event last because of this, but with the earlier interview with Diesel saying that he wasn't happy about Taker being number one contender, Diesel still could have come out if they put this match before the Royal Rumble, Diesel still could have come out, it still could have cost the Taker for the exact same reason. They didn't need to, for me they didn't need to be this way
0: round for that ending. And, I mean, you could have even then had Undertaker's gong distract Diesel and Sean kicks him out. And then you've got exactly. the exact same build-up here going without having to skip out on the rumble being last, which would have given us a feel-good go-home ending, without having to lose out on the video package for the title match, and without having to have all the awkwardness of Diesel hanging around ringside for what seemed like about 15 minutes. Oh, well,
1: exactly. I mean, it's like... It's Shawn Michaels who won his second Royal Rumble in a row... He's going to go and fight whoever. We do, obviously we don't know at this point. And then the focal point at the end of the show is Undertaker Diesel, and it's like when he could have been, Shawn Michaels could have won, Brett could have been stood down there watching him or whatnot. And then it built to something different. It was just it's very confusing. It's very odd.
0: Yep, and from there we do go to Royal Rumble Plus, which is basically some recap and aftermath of what's going on in the storylines. Todd uh, Pettengale, I went to say Todd Grisham, it's definitely not Todd Grisham, um, is with Gorilla Monsoon, and he tells us that in your house, Bret Hart will face Diesel, who's now the number one contender. Um, considering Sean just won the Rumble and Diesel didn't do anything of note other than fuck up the title match, that's a strange way to get there from Gorilla Monsoon, but it is what it is. Did he just the Bosch as well? No.
1: Gorilla Messi we are going to assume put the match Bret Hart versus Diesel on the Survivor Series and then Todd Pettingham has to go uh, uh, uh,
0: uh, that's it in your house like kind of thing oops Doc Hendricks then is with Shawn Michaels who cuts a really dud promo considering um, Sean's character around this point while his ring work was some of the best his character sometimes left a bit to be desired particularly as a baby face We go back to Todd and he's with Gorilla Monsoon again for no apparent reason because they don't advance any storyline. They just chat for a minute. And then Undertaker comes in and says that Diesel won't wear the title. Um, It'll be a cold day in hell before he'll win the belt. So, Gorilla Monsoon announces that this will be a cage match. The Undertaker can't interfere. Doc Hendricks is now with Diesel, who cuts a bit of a dickhead heel promo. Um, he doesn't even mention Bret when talking about the top contenders. He talks about Sean, Undertaker, and himself. And then Todd is once again with Jim Cornette, who is has Vader going nuts backstage. And then they throw to a Royal Rumble recap, showing his like the little highlights video that they used to do. Um, I'm guessing all these promos bought them the time to put that together. What did you think about the Royal Rumble as a whole?
1: Uh, I didn't think it. I didn't think it was that bad. It's nice to see. It was nice to see. Um, early Attitude Era stars in some pretty shitty gimmicks. Did Triple H, your Stone Cold, your, Fat, your Fatu, all them. Yeah. The Dross before they, before they became what they became.
0: Billy Gunn and the three uh, kid as well.
1: Yes. I didn't think, I did, like I so said, I didn't think it wasn't offensive, this show. I quite enjoyed it, to be honest.
0: I guess with all that being said, do you want to go on down and pick ourselves a winner?
1: Well, for me, I think, but out of the two shows the Royal the Royal Rumble was more enjoyable. While the Royal Rumble was longer in length, it didn't feel like it. Clash of the Champions was only like with the network and whatnot, is an hour and forty minutes.
4: And this was like two hour
1: and forty minutes. But if this was a, the Royal Rumble was a lot easier to watch. But then is that down to the fact that I preferred the WBF? I watched the WF at that time. I can call it WBF because that's what it was when I watched it. Um but I think that like, people, like, people like, looking online, that like, people, like, hated this rumble, but I think he did what he did. I think I was slightly confused. I wasn't confused, but, like, the style of the ring filling up and someone coming in and loads of people going out, this was, like, I think, this, for me, this was the early sign that that's happened. I mean, that, they do that all the time in modern-day rumbles, and this, this was the first glimpse of them doing the same. Like, at one point, like, 13 people are in the ring before someone comes in and then
0: people start getting eliminated. Yeah, it was a while before we got a, um, an elimination for this rumble, which I found a little bit strange.
1: Apart from when was it backland was the first to go, wasn't he? Yeah,
0: and I think there was about ten people out by then. Yeah. All right, so let's go through the um, the sections then and decide who's going to take what for production value. Who did you go?
1: The, the Royal Rumble. The Clash of Champions was very dark. It was, you could tell it was like it was filmed in, in like a casino back room or whatnot. It wasn't. It wasn't the best.
0: I actually went the other way on this one and went with WCW, mainly because of the stuff we just talked about with the main event and the, the order. I thought that really hurt the production value of the WWF. And ending with a series of promos backwards and forwards before the, the video package didn't do it for me. Um, a rare misstep for Vince and Co. here. Um, so we've got one apiece there to start off with. Going on to the next set. Well,
1: se- then again, to be fair, they did have outside bits and of that, them. didn't they, WCW? Yeah. Uh, I might change? <laughs> who
0: who who did you go with for crowd heat then?
1: Uh, I think I think if it wasn't for I think about about the level, if it wasn't for Shawn Michaels, obviously the crowd was meant crowd went mental for everything that Shawn did, which kind of helped things. But I think I think they're both on a par. To be fair, um, they cared they cared at the right moments. Like for Clash of Champions, for like seventy five percent of the show, they're absolutely dead. Yeah they didn't clap with people didn't care well then the same thing for that like it was pretty hot for Jeff Jarrett and Johnson then the guitar and then it kind of just dropped down and dropped down and dropped down and picked back up in the
0: rumble can I go for a tie? can I go for a tie? <laughs> it is absolutely allowed I went with the WWF because as you said I mean neither crowd were brilliant but the WWFs were three times the size and that normally sways me unless they're absolutely silent or violently opposing what they're seeing a la King of the Ring 95 that's, that's the way I felt on the night as for storylines, this will probably be an interesting one to pick here. Who did you go with for storylines on the night?
1: Uh, I think, to be fair, the storylines was WCW. You had the, the further bit of Brian Pillman's further descent into the loose cannon. You had Hogan, Macho Man, Ric Blair, Giant. They were all doing their things. Sting and Lex had their own thing going on. Then you've got their Legion of Doom brought into it. You had all the backstage skits with Alundra and that, with and Sherry, which led to something. They all kind of, they all left, apart from like Malenko, Alex Wright, Code and Psychosis, which are just there to be there, but they all had, they all had something with it, Does that make sense. Yeah, absolutely. The Guns Body Donners, Guns Body Donors was just Guns versus Body Donners for the sake of it. Goldust Razor was there to put the title on Goldust, and obviously we know Razor's not much longer for the company. Jeff Jarrett, Andy Johnson, it was all. you had a storyline going into it, obviously from the previous In Your House. And then they just, but they dug, to be fair, at the end for the Royal Rumble, they, they cr- tried to create storylines, create something with Diesel and The Undertaker. Nothing with shown yet, obviously, because they're still going with the card of, well, you've need you it's, you've got another pay for you before you find out you've got a face. So, in terms of more storylines, then I'd have to go with WCW. I,
0: I couldn't pick this one. I couldn't split it. Um, I went with a tie because they are just running through it very quickly um Ahmed Johnson and Jeff Jarrett did have a storyline it was simply designed to make Ahmed Johnson look like a beast and it it sort of accomplished that it wasn't the best but it was what it was um the tag match didn't have a great storyline the Razor Gold Dust one had a lot of airtime coming in and it got a new guy with a title belt so definitely um it did its job there Diesel and The Undertaker was really the big take out of the Rumble as far as storylines go, and it set up a big match as well as it's kind of put two main event matches on the on the plate for WrestleMania, and we're still in January, so that that's always a good thing when you've got your, your semi-main event booked as well. WCW definitely had storyline advancement. I didn't care at all for the wedding storyline or the payoff, but it did pay off. Brian Pillman's the story of the night for WCW for me, and I enjoyed that, but I also know it doesn't go anywhere in this company, so it's not You know, there's there's no sort of jackpot coming with that one. Not not in WCW anyway. And the storyline in the main event, it's coming along nicely. But as we've both spoken about, Hulk overshadows Macho and it pisses me off. So it's not something I particularly care for. That being said, they did all their stories and they brought back the Road Warriors. And the Sting and Lex Lucas story is something I really care for. Having never watched any of this stuff, I'm enjoying it thoroughly. So I went with a tie. Um, this is this is probably the most hotly contested series of um of winners here in the five categories we've had on the history of the show. So who did you go for for characters?
1: Well, again, it's, it's probably it's probably they're both of equal. And as I say, I'll probably pick a winner. But obviously, when you have a Royal Rumble and whatnot, you have that many different characters and that come out. Um, you've got they've got the varying different characters. And you've got to say, obviously, the, the loose cannon, but then he kind of overshadows the whole of the Clash of Champions. And you've got all the other,
0: everyone, I think on both shows, all characters, all, everyone played their roles well, apart from Kevin Sullivan, <laughs> who's <is> a dick, <laughs> and Gary Spivey. Gary Spivey. Spivey. Um, Still, Carthage was there. My only, I guess, the Royal Rumble, you get every character, so they're all there. Whereas in WCW, we didn't see Benoit, and the Road Warriors didn't wrestle, and that was probably the only way I could split this one. Yeah,
1: true, obviously, like, everyone. I probably would say WWF, WWE edged over WCW because for the sheer number. I mean, everyone. I think to go on characters. I think like at the end when the Undertaker at the end of his match when he said like opinion for the title and that it wasn't very, it wasn't very Undertaker. No. At the time, I thought it was slightly. That was slightly bizarre. But no, everyone, everyone did like WCW. Even well, WWF sorry, the Royal Rumble. Owen Hart coming out and whatnot and helping in and like helping the Bulldog at one point against Shawn Michaels and stuff and that was that all tied in with what Bulldog and Owen were doing at the time and
0: stuff. So Yeah, I think I think the the real determining factor, as I said, with the crowd size being three times the size, is the runtime of the show in the rumble is twice as long, so they can afford to get every character on the show. And that's really probably the only big difference between the two. But yeah. the big one, who did you go with for match quality?
1: To be fair, obviously Clash of the Champions had the, the more matches, but uh, I don't think neither of them were pretty brilliant, to be <laughs> fair. I think obviously they WWF one had the, the guns versus the body gunners, which was a was a pretty good match, and then that Sting Alex Luger, that wasn't that wasn't harmless.
0: I don't know. I, I, I went with the WWF just because of the Rumble match, if I'm being honest. That was my favourite match of either show. And while WCW wasn't terrible, having Brian Pillman against Eddie Guerrero be a letdown really hurt this for me. And Milenko Alex, right, wasn't as good as I expected either. Yeah. So you know, for me the Rumble didn't disappoint and some other things did.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's the fact that like, I could I could happily watch the Royal Rumble ninety six again in Clash of the Champions,
0: no. <laughs> So, no, no, no. so by my count then, we have got four, five, six wins for the WWF, two wins for WCW, and a couple of ties. So the Royal Rumble, I think yeah, we can both agree, was by far the more enjoyable of the two shows. Would you, would you go along with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you said six for WF, I thought, oh, I forgot about the ties. I thought you could say four for WCW, that would be a slight, that would have be been a disservice. But now, that sounds...
0: More than fair. Yep. So that's the first pay-per-view of 1996 in the can. Um, I've already begun watching the following Raw and Nitro, so we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here with the TV shows, knowing that there's now going to be 12 pay-per-views a year from either company, um, as far as the reviews go. Have you got anything you want to plug before we sign off on this one? Eh, no,
1: nothing. Nothing coming up. Just say we going on Twitter, uh, LoveGone 13 N you got to love me- making your Twitter name when you was a teenager. <laughs> well, I was a teenager when you were early 20s, sorry. But yeah, I'm on there. Nothing exciting coming up. Just going to a few British uh, independent wrestling shows.
0: Very jealous. Um,
1: yeah, so a couple of weeks is the King of Flight uh, in Mansfield, where I hate wrestling. It's got um, Kelly Williams, Flash Morgan Webster. It's got some got some big names, and then I've got uh, going to Progress in Manchester, which I can't wait for. Very
0: jealous again. Yes,
1: yeah. Progress. I mean, last uh, we went to Progress for the first time this year in Birmingham, and it absolutely blew me away. It's absolutely incredible. If, if anyone anyone wants to check out anything, I'd definitely demand Progress.
0: I'm not sure what I'm more jealous about, Pro- getting to see Progress or going to Manchester. Both of them make me extremely jealous. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to, to going to, go to Manchester. Oh, mate, come you know, on. That's, like... that's my home. <laughs>
1: Well, definitely, I'm off on the Monday as well, so I'll be getting the
0: train open and having a few uh, nice one. cheap beers that day. Uh, Caught a few trains and had a few beers in Manchester in my time, so can highly recommend it.
1: It's um, the Ritz. I was, was going to say, it's the Ritz in Manchester. Okay, nice. Yes. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. We, the, we, I got an email on the Monday saying the tickets were going on sale at 12, and then I always uh, message my mate so he gets the tickets, and I arrange to travel and uh, I said the tickets go on at 12 they allegedly, they went on general release at 12 at 12am, 12 or 12pm sorry, and they were sold out within like 12 seconds later. Jesus, Crazy. that is
0: insane Yeah, oh, yeah. Very nice then um, As for myself, you can always catch us on, um, on 4CR and on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, also do check us out on Twitter and Facebook or send an email to the show if you want to have anything read out. We've got quite a few different shows coming up in the pipeline uh, myself and duncan will be following on tna and wwe's 2010 rivalry uh, myself and richie will be flashing flashing back to the 80s we've got a little bit of a um uh, an interesting timeline we're trying to build at the moment so some more stuff coming up there stay tuned for that and of course 1996 is on the horizon here now we're going to follow on through um hopefully carl will be able to get you back on for another pay-per-view episode in the near future are you interested in coming and having another run definitely definitely a little bit um other than that um i will say as well for all the people that are, have been involved with the show and stuff so far the two-man shows are definitely i think taking off and being a little bit more enjoyable so up for more of that feel free to get in touch if you want to be a part of it um and i'm hoping in the near future as well to test drive having someone on for Aurora and nitro just to give some of those shows a bit of a different feel carl if you've got nothing on in the, in the near future give me a yell and we could do Aurora and nitro together as well
1: Definitely. I mean, it seems minute every single podcast I listen to, you're on it. <laughs> I've been
0: on a few. <laughs> I actually, when I started this show, I just wanted to do a podcast with somebody and I couldn't find anybody local that wanted to do it. Everyone I know that likes wrestling all around the world and didn't want to commit to doing it every week or every month. So I just thought, fuck it, I'll do it on my own. And I really just, my only goal was to get on somebody else's podcast. <laughs> so it's, it's bearing fruit finally. <laughs> Yes. Uh because the worst part is after we press stop and I have to go and edit. I'm not computer savvy as if you've listened to all the shows, you've heard some of the um, the sound glitches and, and the the rough start that we've had. But um, I think we're we're getting the hang of it now. I've learnt the old trick of getting rid of the echo by wearing a set of headphones so that you can, I can't pick you up on my microphone. And hopefully, everyone's enjoying it more because of that.
1: know no, I even actually went out and bought a microphone for this.
0: Honestly. Oh, nice one! You're um, definitely going to have to put that to good use and get you back on board then. Yeah, I went with the, I went with the classic the, the mobile phone
1: headset for the last one when I did the interview, so obviously hopefully the, you can actually hear me this time. Yeah, you're
0: coming through loud and clear here on my um, giant beats, which I've got to wear every time I do this now. But no, all good. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, something I've been looking forward to for a while. I know we've had some issues scheduling it and trying to both find the same time that works, but I'm Absolutely love to have you back on as soon as you're ready. So get in touch and please get in touch with Carl on Twitter and let him know what you thought. All good thoughts, hopefully. And we'll speak to you all again soon. Unless you, unless
1: you spend a hand, obviously, then you can go, go, go. again.
0: <laughs> That's why I need you on this show. <laughs> oh, man.
5: Check it out, I call it, yeah, 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 for my brothers with daughters, I call this, for my brothers with daughters, I call this, for my brothers with daughters, I call call Uh. this my brothers were daughters I saw my daughter send a letter to some boy her age Who locked up, first I regretted it, then caught my rage Like, how could I not protect her from this awful fate? Never tried to hide who I was, she was taught and raised Like a princess, but while I'm on stage I can't leave her defenseless Plus she see me switching women, pops was some pimps She heard stories of her daddy it. So if her husband is a gangster, can't be mad I love him, never for her, I want better Homie in jail, dead dad Wait till he come home, you can see where his head's at Got game, they be trying to live He seen your mama crib Plus I'm sure he know who your father is Although you real, plus an honest kid Don't think I'm slow, I know you probably had that chronic lid You 17, I got a problem with it She look at me like I'm not the cleanest father figure But she rocking with it For my brothers with daughters, I call this For my brothers with daughters, I call this Not saying that our son's a lesson for him uh, 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 uh. For my brothers with daughters, I call this uh, For my brothers with daughters, I call this Not saying that our sons are less important uh, yeah. This morning I got a call, nearly split my wig The social network said, Nas, go and get your kids She's on Twitter, I know she ain't gonna post no pic Of herself underdressed, no inappropriate No inappropriate her mother cried when she asked it she don't know what got inside this child's mind she planted A box of condoms on her dresser then she Instagrammed it At this point I realize I ain't the strictest parent I'm too loose, I'm too cool with her Should've drove more time to school with her I thought I dropped enough jewels on her Took her from private school so she can get a balance To public school, they too nurture teen talents They grow fast, one day she's your little princess Next day she's talking boy business, what is this? They say the coolest players in fallas us in the world, God gets us back, He makes us have precious little girls. Uh, for my brothers with daughters, I call this. For my brothers with daughters, I call this. Not saying that our sons are less important. Uh, 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 uh. For my brothers with daughters, I call this. For my brothers with daughters, I call this. Not saying that our sons are less important. Uh, yeah. And I ain't trying to mess your thing up But I just want to see you dream up I finally understand It ain't easy to raise a girl as a single man Nah, the way mothers feel for their sons How fathers feel for their daughters When he date, he's straight to Chip off his own papa When she date, we wait behind the door with a the short off Cause we think no one is good enough For our daughters Love